I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Diversion Podcasts. I think the main thing is getting shape from what I hear it's a very long season a lot of basketball to be played and a lot of bumping and grinding so I had to prepare myself physically I'm getting shape so my legs won't get tired I know I know it's a lot of rookies uh, nowadays start to tend to hit a hit a wall in the middle of the season I think uh, a lot of the great players in the past Magic Mike but I don't think they've ever hit that wall and I, I don't want to hit that wall if I work hard because I possibly can this summer and I still hit the wall I'm going to have to work even harder Next year, I look at it as a positive. I might have a better feel for what's going on. During this series, we've dived deep into Kobe Bryant's early life. We've talked about his family, his upbringing, his social life when he was a teenager, his decision to skip college and go straight from Lower Merion High School to the NBA. We've talked a lot about him as a person, which is a natural thing to do. Kobe was famous. Kobe was a mega celebrity. Kobe's photo could appear on the cover of People magazine, 
and everyone in the supermarket checkout line would recognize him. You didn't have to know anything about basketball to know who he was. But in this episode, we wanted to home in on Kobe as a basketball player. That's what that tape you heard at the top of this episode is all about. It's from the summer of 1996, and Kobe is talking about how he's preparing himself physically for the NBA. He says he doesn't want to hit that wall. He doesn't want to tire himself out completely before the regular season is finished. Magic Johnson didn't do that. Michael Jordan didn't do that. And Kobe didn't want to do it either. Here's the thing, though. He kind of did. At the end of that 1996-97 season, in an elimination game against the Utah Jazz, Kobe had one of the worst games of his career, maybe the worst. He shot four air balls in the closing minutes. His legs were gone. He had hit that wall. Kobe Bryant, the young rookie straight from high school. Eight seconds left. Bryant, guarded by Russell. Five seconds left. Four. Bryant, drive, pull up. Shot on the way. No good. Carver those rebounds to go to overtime. Stockton, all over. Eight seconds. Seven seconds. Here's a three-pointer. Air ball again by Kobe Bryant. Another air ball. Four seconds left. It's Stockton. It's over. It's over. I do believe. Of course, we know Kobe eventually figured out how to break through that wall. He made the All-Star game the following season, and four years later, when the Lakers won their second championship with him, he actually averaged more points per game and shot a better percentage from the field in the playoffs than he did during the regular season. Safe to say his conditioning was better by then. So for this episode, we really wanted to drill down on the physical and mental attributes that made him great on the court, the granular stuff that basketball junkies love. And we thought a cool way to do it would be to examine each stage of his life and career through the eyes of someone who knew Kobe well at each stage. So we have three coaches with ties to Kobe to break everything down. First, you'll hear from Ashley Howard, who grew up with Kobe and played against him when they were kids. He had been Jay Wright's top assistant coach on two national championship teams at Villanova. And now, he's the head coach at LaSalle University. Yes, we have a new man in charge over LaSalle for the first time in 14 years. Ashley Howard will be the new coach at LaSalle. That was announced today. He will be the 19th head coach in the program's history for the last five seasons. Howard was one of Jay Wright's top assistants and recruiters. In that time, Villanova won two national championships and set an NCAA record for most wins in a four-year span. Howard also spent four years as an assistant at LaSalle, and he says, well, that gives him an advantage. Then, in the second part of this episode, you'll hear from Temple University head coach Aaron McKee, who played 13 seasons in the NBA. Aaron finished his career with the Lakers. He was Kobe's teammate there for two years. But before that, he had to guard him a couple of times each season and throughout the 2001 NBA Finals when Kobe's Lakers beat Aaron's 76ers. Finally, in the last part of this episode, you'll hear from Brett Brown. 
Brett has known Kobe for a long time and in a lot of ways. He game-planned against him and got to coach him in two NBA All-Star games when Brett was an assistant under Greg Popovich with the San Antonio Spurs. He coached against Kobe in the Olympics when Kobe was on the U.S. team and Brett was the head coach of the Australian team. And Brett was the Sixers head coach when Kobe played his final game in Philadelphia in December 2015. He's a showman and it's showtime, surprise, right? Surprise, surprise. We knew he was coming with something a little extra tonight, no matter what has transpired in the first 16 games. Oh, and he has another connection to Kobe. Brett's son, Sam, is a junior at Lower Marion and one of the top basketball players in the Philadelphia area. In this episode, we want to give you a sense of just how Kobe's presence and legend linger in the present day, how fresh they still are. In so many ways, they're as relevant as they've ever been. And I remember saying, wow, there's something about this young little guy, and uh, little did I know. Bryant, another three, and he drains it. They're loving this show from Kobe Bryant. I'm Mike Sealski, and from Diversion Podcasts, this is I Am Kobe. Episode 11, Tricks of the Basketball Trade. If you're up on Philly basketball history or have been paying close attention throughout this series, you might have already figured out there's a deeper connection between Ashley Howard and Kobe Bryant than what I explained in the introduction. Just pay attention to Ashley's last name, Howard. Yep, he's the son of Mo Howard, Joe Bryant's buddy from high school, who we've heard from across several episodes. I met Kobe right when he first moved to, to the States from Italy. You know, our parents were, were close. My father and, and Joe, his father, were, were childhood friends. Ashley Howard is in his fourth season as LaSalle's men's basketball coach. And I drove down to campus in late November to sit down and talk with him about Kobe. Ashley hasn't had a winning season yet, and he's still facing challenges similar to the ones that his storied predecessor, Speedy Morris, faced back when he was trying to coax Kobe to become an explorer. Budget constraints, a relative lack of resources, etc., etc. Even the men's basketball coach's office is just as modest as it was way back when I was a student there. It looks pretty much the same as it did when it was Speedy's office in the early 1990s. Back then, Ashley considered Kobe one of his basketball role models. He was two years younger than Kobe, and the two of them played in the Sunny Hill League at the same time. The Sunny Hill League was the training ground for adolescent basketball talent in and around Philadelphia. People call Sonny the mayor of basketball in Philly, and he founded the league in the late 1960s. The games were at Old McGonagall Hall on Temple's campus. If you were a promising young player, that was where you went to be seen, and it helped you build your reputation and get into the good pickup games at the city's rec centers. One of those games still stands out to Ashley. Kobe was about 13 at the time, so Ashley would have been about 11. 
and they were playing against each other at Justine Lake Recreation Center in the East Falls section of Philadelphia. I remember I had a breakaway layup. Kobe was chasing me down, and I just jump stopped, and he flew over top of me, and I laid the ball in. And we're running down the court, and he said to me, I gave you that one. <laughs> I gave you that one. So that was one of my first memories of Kobe. Uh, he was, he was because the Bryant and Howard families were so close, Ashley got to know Kobe pretty well when they were kids. And because Ashley was a darn good player himself, he went on to play Division I ball at Drexel University. He got an up-close look at Kobe's growth as a player during his teenage years. And that growth was unusual, to say the least. Kobe picked up on things, especially from his father and from his sisters, Sharia and Shea, both of whom were excellent athletes themselves. When Joe played in the NBA and internationally, for example, Kobe noticed that he always iced his knees and joints after every practice and game. And when his sisters played volleyball, they always wore knee pads. So he did the same thing. He was so skinny that he looked like a giraffe wearing a knight's armor. Kobe used to wear these knee pads, and he used to ice his body up, like after he played. <laughs> and we would look at him, and Gustine Lake, like, yo, what is this guy doing? Like, he was like 14 years old, and his body's wrapped up in ice. But like, I guess like he saw that when he was a kid playing, you know, watching his dad overseas and like, okay, after you play, you ice your body up, you take care of your body, take care of your, 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 you know, you know, you protect your knees. And that's what was different about Kobe. That's where you saw like the experience of being around his father, being around his uncle, Chubby, guys that played the game at an extremely high level, guys that were pros. And he was just analyzing and dissecting their every move. And, um, and learning just from being around the game at a high level. Just what Ashley saw, really, was the foundation of Kobe's game, like the substructure that would support all the other you know, skills that would make you know, him great. I remember we played together in um, like a Philadelphia New York game. It was like a 14 and under game. And, you know, I was younger at the time. I was probably 12 at this time. Kobe's 14. And, you know, we played together in the game. And, you know, I'm the point guard. Kobe's the big man. But it was like he still did everything, right? Like, you know, we, we were going to him. Like, he was scoring inside. He was stepping outside, making threes. He was going coast to coast, you know, dropping dimes. So he was different. Even at that age, he was not like everybody else. Um, and I remember that just, you know, distinctly at that size, you know, I don't remember exactly how tall he was. He may have been like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, but he was taller than your average 14-year-old. And and he was more skilled and, and more fundamentally sound than, than the average player at that age as well. Like Kobe was very polished and mature and refined in his game at that time, um, especially playing amongst his age group. Like you could tell that he was used to playing with older players because he played the game with uh, just a sense of maturity that everybody else wasn't playing with. From my perspective, the same person that I played with in the 14 and under New York Philadelphia game back in 1993 is the same person that I saw get 81 points on the Toronto Raptors. Same dude, you know what I mean? Kobe Bryant, 28 for 46 from the field. 
This would be 18 for 20 from the line and an 81 point game. 55 in the second half. You gotta get him out of game. Somebody got Oh, it is out of ball. There it is. Here we go. And Kobe will ball. be replaced. And listen to this crowd for number eight, Kobe Bryant. He was always that guy. He was a killer. Um, he was an assassin. He rose to the occasion. The bigger the competition, the bigger the performance. So that was part one. That was Ashley Howard, who looked up to Kobe as a role model and a kind of idol, giving us a look at Kobe as a kid, as an up-and-comer, as a young man hungry for big competition and big stages. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Mike Sealski, host and writer of I Am Kobe. This podcast project came out of my work on a related book called The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. If you want to explore other parts of Kobe's story, check out The Rise. It's not just a book version of the podcast. 
I dive deeper into some of the topics covered in this series and even some that we don't cover at all. Kobe's upbringing, his family, his identity, his effect on his friends and teammates, his journey into the NBA, and his earliest days with the Lakers. The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality is out now. Just head over to theriseofkobebook.com and you can buy it from any of your favorite retailers. That's theriseofkobebook.com. Thanks. Here in part two, we're going to get into Kobe the pro basketball player, Kobe the immortal. And for that Kobe, the competition was never bigger than it was in the seven NBA finals he reached during his 20-year career with the Lakers. People overlook that fact about him. Seven NBA finals. Michael Jordan only made six. Granted, Jordan and the Bulls won every time, and Kobe lost twice. But still, seven finals. Anyway, the second of those finals appearances came in 2001 against Kobe's hometown team, the Philadelphia 76ers. And one of the Sixers who drew the assignment of having to guard Kobe during that series was Aaron McKee. Here is Shaw. Bryant with the rebound and the bucket. It's a great offensive rebound. You know, Aaron McKee tried to go up with him. Kobe with the fresher legs. McKee played 13 years in the NBA and that season was his best. He was named the league's sixth man of the year. He averaged more than 11 points a game, shot 47% from the field, and established himself as one of the better defensive guards around. He and Kobe had some obvious similarities and some pretty big differences. Both of them had Philly roots. McKee had played for Simon Gratz High, one of the city's top programs, and for John Chaney at Temple. Both of them were roughly the same size. McKee was 6'5", Kobe was 6'6". Both were tough as dry rawhide. And McKee had played against Kobe in those memorable pickup games at the St. Joseph's University Fieldhouse during the summer of 1995. When I was in college, he, he would come up and he was always had a high IQ. He always had the skill set. He was more athlete than still polishing his game up early on can do just about anything and everything out on the court. You you clearly saw that. Can defend, rebound, shoot, can go get a shot, you know, block shots, the whole nine. He was just electric and he was full of energy, 6'5", long. He was doing all of those things, but what he was missing at that time is just being polished up and, under, and really truly understanding the game um, and not – having the strength. He was wiry strong, but he didn't have that man strength at that particular time. And then once he, he got to the NBA, he, he, he got polished up. He studied the game. He understood the game. He started get, hitting the weight room and getting stronger, you know, where he could take on the physicality of an NBA season. And then you started to see the total package. Here it is. You're talking about a premier offensive player who could could have easily been MVP every year, but he was also one of the premier defensive players. 
So he prided himself on being a, a two-way player. As Even when Kobe was moving from high school into the NBA, the idea that his background as a suburban kid who might be intimidated by older, more experienced players never held any water with McKee. He knew better. He'd been too close to Kobe's flame to think such a thing. Yeah, that, that was always a misconception. And it is, basketball is basketball. And really, that's the chip that he's always had on his shoulder. It was really the only thing that people could say to kind of, I'm not going to say it was a knock, but say, hey, let's let's play this against him. Oh, he, he he's not from the inner city like most of the premier players were, you know, back then. He's from the suburbs or he grew up in Italy and he's different than us. He's not tougher. And he, he was one of the toughest guys that I knew. Mentally tough, because basketball is mentally tough. It's not physically tough. He was physically tough. He was mentally tough. You couldn't really talk to him because he was focused on what he, you know, what he was doing, and and so you couldn't really rattle his cage with with words or anything else. You tried to do push him or hit him or foul him hard, and that only made him stronger. And a stronger Kobe was a problem for the Sixers. He and McKee were roughly the same size, but Kobe was more athletic, was a better shooter had a wider array of offensive skills and moves. So entering the series, the plan for the Sixers wasn't to have McKee try to guard Kobe one-on-one. The plan was to use every available small forward and big guard the team had to throw everything and everyone they could at Kobe. So I always just tried to touch him and, and, and make his shots difficult. I wasn't going to play undisciplined and try to run for steals and open it up for him and give him easy shots. I just wanted to try to make it as tough as possible for him. Uh, guard him, keep him in front of him, and putting him on the uh, free throw line. Because all great scorers understand how to not only score the ball, but they understand when, they, when they're not making shots, they try to find ways to get layups. They try to find ways to get to the free throw line, and that helps those guys get going. We try to rotate guys on them if it was myself, if it was Eric Snow, if it was, you know, whoever, Jermaine Jones, Roger Bell, we just wanted to rotate uh, fresh bodies on them. Um, again, those guys, those sort of players see that night in and night out where you're getting all these defensive coverages and double teams and those sort of things. So, you know, they're prepared for that. And so he's, you know, one of the all-time greats for a reason. The Sixers shocked the Lakers and the basketball world by winning game one of the finals in overtime. You might remember that game. It featured the unforgettable sight of Allen Iverson swishing a baseline jump shot over Lakers guard Tyron Lue, then stepping over Lue, who had fallen to the floor. 103 left in overtime. 101-99. Here's Iverson. Lue the defender. Stays right with it. Allen wants to go. Wants the baseline. Fade away. Yes. He's way too good. He steps around Lou. That's thrown it. And the Sixers have scored nine in a row. Seven straight points by Iverson. Looked like he was dead in the water. Kobe would have liked to forget that entire game. It was his worst of that entire postseason. He took 22 shots, missed 15 of them, and scored just 15 points. McKee didn't expect them to repeat such a subpar performance in game two. You know, when you're talking about one of the top three players in the league playing out in L.A., and, you know, especially after us winning that first game, I knew he was going to come back with a different mindset. And it was, his mindset was always kill or be killed. 
and I knew he was going to come out firing away. And, and again, my, my, my thought process was, hey, we just got to make it difficult for him. We're going to come out firing and, 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 and trying to carry the load and, you know, just try to find different ways to distract him. And you couldn't do those things. And so, you know, once he got into his rhythm, it was, you know, he, he became really difficult to guard. set up the short jumper six points 12 points in this first quarter for Kobe Bryant seven of seven at the line and you hear the chant of Kobe from this crowd here at Staples Kobe was back in his rhythm for most of the rest of the series he scored 31 points in Game 2 and 32 points in Game 3. And the Lakers didn't lose again, rolling to a five-game victory and the championship. After the last game of the finals, a photographer snapped the shot of Kobe sitting alone, hugging the Larry O'Brien trophy, a melancholy look on his face. He and his parents were not on speaking terms at the time. Their falling out over the direction of his life was recent and fresh. It was one of the most bittersweet moments of his career, and it happened in his hometown. But it was not his first memorable moment in Philadelphia against the Sixers, and it wasn't his last. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. 
What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the first part of this episode... You heard Ashley Howard describe what Kobe was like when his basketball career was just starting. In the second part, Aaron McKee talked about what it was like to compete against Kobe in his prime. Kobe on basketball's biggest stage. Kobe winning a championship in the city of brotherly love. In the third and final part now, I thought it would be appropriate to focus on Kobe's debut in his hometown and his farewell in his hometown. On November 26, 1996, Kobe played in Philadelphia for the first time as a member of the Lakers. His family, his friends from Lower Marion, people who knew him from the Philly basketball scene, all of them were there to see him play. Then he went out there against a terrible Sixers team and took all of three shots in the first half. He missed them all. He didn't score a single point in the game's first 24 minutes. If you thought Kobe, even as an 18-year-old rookie, would be deterred by that poor performance, you haven't been paying attention over the previous 10 episodes of this series. He took more than twice as many shots in the second half, seven. This time, he made four of them. He finished with 12 points, the Lakers' precise margin of victory that night, 100 to 88. Four months after that game, in March 1997, Kobe described the entire scene to Jeremy Treat. Well, first half, I, I went out there. I just basically tried to get you know, within the motion of um, within the motion of the offense. I just went out there, swung the ball a couple times, tried to get a feel for the game. Um, then, you know, I went to into the locker room, even though I probably I don't think I scored a point in the first half. I knew that you know, any time I, I could go out there and get mine. I just had that confidence about me doing the game. So I came up in the second half, and then we were struggling a little bit. We needed somebody to step up and put some points on the board. I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and go for mine and do my thing and put some points up on the board. So that's what I did in the second half. What was it like when you were working there and all these people from all around and all the people that had figures about you? It was just like high school, just high school all over again. My whole family being there. A lot of man people being there, the media doubters. It's the same, same thing, same feeling. The only difference is I had on, I had on purple and gold. 
Uh, what do you think of the ovation you got? Or do you... The ovation? <laughs> uh, it felt good, man. It felt good because I know there were a lot of people in Philly who requested my decision and saying that you know, I couldn't make it or whatever, but I guess they were kind of pleased how I was able to handle myself and you know, how I handled myself in that game, so I was happy. Fast forward nearly 20 years. On December 1st, 2015, Kobe played in Philadelphia for the final time when the Sixers hosted the Lakers. But the game was interesting for reasons beyond the fact that it would be Kobe's last one in his hometown. For one thing, the Sixers had played 18 games that season before facing Kobe and the Lakers, and they had lost all 18. They were in the midst of the process, their controversial plan to tank for a few years, get some high draft picks and presumably some great players, and try to rebuild. For another, their head coach, Brett Brown, had spent as much time as anyone in the NBA studying Kobe or preparing to stop Kobe, or at least slow him down, or at least try. Brown knew that Kobe would want to put on a show in Philly, that he would be shooting the ball every chance he got. When Brown was working under Greg Popovich with the San Antonio Spurs, he and the other coaches would ask themselves the same question every time they had to face Kobe. And they'd answer it the same way every time. Here's Brown. You know, what sort are you prepared to die on? It was always the three-point shot, you know. So if he was going to beat you with threes, you know, there, there wasn't much you could do about that if you, you you did what you just said what what floor spots did you worry most about he was incredibly efficient proficient pick a word whatever word you want at elbows and and wings like that we called it the Carl Malone line that was pop's verbiage and if you just took sort of a line from the elbow of a foul line to the corner that diagonal that floor spot he was incredible at You remember Carl Malone, right? He was the Hall of Fame power forward for the Utah Jazz. One of his bread and butter moves was a little half fadeaway, half jumper that he loved to shoot from a few feet inside the three-point arc. He'd usually be open to take that shot off a pick and pop with point guard John Stockton. That's what Brown means when he talks about the Carl Malone line. Draw a trapezoid on a basketball court from the corners of the court to the upper corners of the lane, and Malone lived on the lines of that trapezoid. So did Kobe, and when it came to getting a shot off, he might have had the best footwork of any wing player in basketball history. And, you know, without getting too technical on the, the, the specifics of his footwork, he could, he, whether it was a forward pivot, whether it was an inside pivot, whether he really wanted his dominant pivot foot, which was his left foot and his right foot was free, where he could play a little bit of a rocket step type game. You know, those two elbows, those two Malone lines on the right side and the left side, he, he just was incredibly efficient and, and dangerous, especially from those spots. Kobe's footwork was impeccable. He was prideful at drilling it. He was adamant on on dictating, like, this is how I'm going to uh, play. And, and a lot of times, Mike, when you, as I said at the start, you know, 92-92, six seconds left, 
you, you can book it like he's going to be on one of the elbows or, or one of those Malone lines that I spoke of and you know he's going to stick his dominant pivot foot and then at that point you've got your hands full. So Brown and the Sixers picked their poison. They would let Kobe shoot threes and well this happened. But he's also one of their best three-point guys. Kobe loses him two on a row. <laughs> Dumb start to a game between the two worst records in the league. Three in a row, shoot it again, Kobe, yes! He's three for four! The Sixers weren't just a bad team that season. They were a young, inexperienced team, starstruck by Kobe and the charged atmosphere inside the Wells Fargo Center. One of their best bench players, for example, was T.J. McConnell. McConnell has since established himself as one of the best backup point guards in the NBA. But at the time, he was just a rookie, and he and his teammates weren't carrying out the defensive strategy that Brown wanted them to play. We wanted to blitz Kobe to go double-team him. And, and, and I remember calling a timeout and asking T.J., you know, are you going to blitz him or are you going to kiss him? T.J. was T.J. was starstruck. He, Mike, he was starstruck. Like, wow. all my guys, you know, want his autograph more than they want to defend him. Well, and, and, and he came out and hit, like, four out of his first five shots. He came out, and I, I think with 10 minutes and, like, 40 seconds, he was three for four from threes. It's true. And, uh, and they were all threes, which is what I said, you know, 10 minutes ago, if you had to, what sword you gonna die in, it's gonna be the three. And uh, it's true, he came into Philadelphia and just lit up the building at the start. The building was electric. Bryant, another three, and he drains it. Kobe Bryant, his fourth three of the game, his first points of the quarter, but he's high man in the game with 16. Kobe couldn't keep up his hot shooting. He finished seven of 26 from the field and scored 20 points, and the Lakers actually lost. It was the Sixers' first victory of the season. I was in the building that night to write a column about Kobe for the Philadelphia Inquirer. The Philly fans had shown Kobe their love and appreciation for him in a way they never had before. But it was clear he wasn't really the same player anymore. He was 37. He moved a little slower, jumped a little lower. His footwork and fundamentals weren't enough to overcome the limitations that age had imposed on him. Plus, the sport was changing, centering itself around offensive efficiency and the three-point shot. The Golden State Warriors, with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, the best shooting backcourt the NBA has ever seen, had won the championship a few months earlier. And they were in the midst of a season in which they'd win a league record 73 games and reach the finals again. The idea that a team should build itself around a player like Kobe, a player who took long two-point jumpers, a player who could score from anywhere on the floor and would shoot from even the places where the stats said he shouldn't, was totally passe. If you can, kind of put Kobe in context in that regard. Like, would, would modern coaches allow him to play the way that he played, as silly as that sounds? 
No, I mean, it, it, it's a good question. And, and I, I've seen a lot over two decades with trends and things in the NBA. You know, the NBA has changed in so, so, so many ways over that 20-year period that I'm, that I'm speaking of. And, you know, with the exception of, what, two years, I was in the NBA every one of Kobe's years. And, you know, you, you look at it in the analytics topic that we're, we're speaking of, um, it's one of the most profound things that have crept into our league. And I think at times, if you're not careful, it really, it, it, it crushes, I think, a spirit of a player it can influence coaches uh, if if you're not careful, and it did me, you know, in 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 ways that you look back and it's it's just negative. It doesn't let scorers score. Now, I think that that blanket um, comment that I have just made can creep into other people, role players. You know, you don't want role players taking long twos that are contested. Like we all get that, but. You know, Kobe Bryant's ability to just get buckets and score points and kind of do it when he put his mind to it is just off the charts. And so After that game, Brown was in his office at the arena, still decompressing, when he heard a knock on his door. It was Alan Lumpkin, who has been the Sixers' travel director and team liaison for years. He said, Coach, you have a guest who wants to say hello. And, and Kobe knocked on the door and came in. And I, I, as I said, you know, I'd, I'd known him because of the London Olympic Games, coaching against him uh, overseas, a uh, few all-star games and this and that. So there was a, you know, a, a brief history that I had had with him. And he came in and he knew my son was going to Lower Marion High School. And and obviously he had wished the, the, the six as well and me well, trying to, you know, get the program back on track. But I sat with him for 45 minutes and they, they they had to knock on my door and you know get him out tell him hey the bus is leaving they're going back to the hotel but and so this the, the conversation was all about now what for him and he just blew me away with his vision of what he wanted his life to be after basketball he, he just he was just in the game he was engaged it was just a glow and an energy about what was going to be next for, for, for Kobe. And uh, it was a heck of a night. It was a great night. Brett Brown was right. It was a heck of a night. I was there. And the love that Sixers fans and that Philadelphia in general showed to Kobe was something to see. He'd always had a love-hate relationship with the city, with a lot more emphasis on the hate. But I'd argue that's only because they were so alike and had so much in common. Kobe wanted to win more than anything. Philly fans want to win more than anything. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't really from the city. He was from the Burbs. He was a Laker, blah, blah, blah. As you can see from this episode, from his early life, to the prime of his career, to the end of his two decades with the Lakers, Kobe was as tough, as driven, as determined to achieve greatness as anyone who ever played in the NBA. That's exactly the sort of athlete that a city like Philadelphia or Los Angeles or New York or any city in the world would have appreciated and adored. No, Kobe technically wasn't from Philly. 
But if he had played in Philly, it would have been... Five-time NBA champion, a 6'6 guard from Lower Marion High School, where he won the title in 1996. Number 24, Kofi Well, it would have been just about perfect. I Am Kobe is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Mike Sealski. It's produced by Jacob Bronstein and directed by Mark Francis. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein with editorial direction from Scott Waxman. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Stephen Tompkins is our production assistant. Our theme music is Create Yourself by Grover Brown, featuring Justin Starling. Find Create Yourself wherever you stream music. Music supervisor is Scott Velasquez for Freesound Sync. Executive producers are Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Join the conversation about I Am Kobe on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, it's at Diversion Pods. Thanks to Oren Rosenbaum, Susan Canavan, and Jeremy Treatment. Hey, look, I rise before the sun. They don't understand when I say the grind is fun. Never clock out even when my work is done. If they trying to block me, I might hurt someone. Through the blood, sweat, and tears, we persevere. Stay killing it, better keep the hearses near. If they don't believe in themselves, they revert to fear. Now the champ is here, so I'm telling them, that's my ambition. The reason why my work's so damn different. To the negatives, I can listen. See me at the top, you can listen. I'ma mold the clay like cash is. See, I pay my dues plus taxes. Gotta work ethic and grind ahead of its time. If someone say that they made you, tell them you create yourself. Oh, the best you finna watch us, but it's about that time. You gotta stay clocked in, brick by brick. We create ourselves. Watch me, watch me, create myself. Track clock, time's up, create yourself. Nice, go hard, create yourself. Gotta learn from the great minds. No, we ain't lying. Tell them that it's game time. This talent wasn't given, it was made. The future, anytime I can change. Better tell them that I made it back home. As I walk through the halls of the fame, I came from the valley of the shadow of death. Waiting for a silver spoon, don't hold your breath. Same town, same dream, but I did it with less. I know who I'm meant to be, so there's nothing to guess. Yeah, there's nothing to guess. It's our time, tell them we up next We don't got any regrets I did it with my two hands and we never forget That's my ambition The reason why my work's so damn different To the negatives I can't listen See me at the top, you can't listen For real Rebuild, reshape Give me your all, you got to risk take Do it now and I'm saying why wait Someone say that they made you Tell them you create yourself oh, The best you finna watch Us by it's about that time You gotta stay clocked in Break by break We create ourselves Watch me Watch me Create myself Track clock Time's up Create yourself Late nights Go hard Create yourself Gotta learn from the great minds No, we ain't lying Tell them that it's game time
From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.